0: Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Sprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic radio. We are here this morning with an awesome guest, uh, guests, And we're going to talk about the faith alive in the honest and goodness real world. And I'm going to leave it at that because I don't want to steal any thunder from what's coming. But uh, if you want to come lukewarm and leave on fire, then stay tuned because we've got some awesome content ahead of you. Mari, um, always good to be in studio with you. Thank you. And we're missing our brother Craig this morning. But uh, I know he's here in spirit and uh, he will certainly enjoy the output or the outcome of, of this endeavor.
1: Yes. So, yeah. So he uh, yeah, he is missing and he's very sad to miss because we have in studio, um, we are here with Father John Ricardo and Mary Guilfoyle. And for some people, these names may be very familiar. Mm-hmm. I think the voices will especially be Definitely. familiar to many of our Quest listeners because if you are driving to work here in Atlanta about 8 a.m. every weekday, you hear Father John on Christ is the Answer. And I think a number of our listeners have also heard both of them their wonderful podcast you were born for this so i think those so that's who we have we have father john ricardo and mary Gilfoyle. welcome both of you we're so glad to have you with us here in the family room today
2: thank you we're delighted to talk with you guys today yeah it's a joy to be with you thanks so can i
0: start with a funny story
1: sure and then we have to Absolutely.
0: ask father, and then ask yeah i want to yeah. i want to get this out of the way before we get serious <laughs> so i I I have one of these features in my car, like that. If my it it picks up the Bluetooth on my phone, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if, so if I go in, whatever was live last picks it up. So it's about six o'clock in the morning, and I'm headed out. And and it, honestly, it was kind of a stressful day ahead, and I was a little stressed. And just I pull out of the garage, and all of a sudden, I hear Father John Ricardo say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh how did would it go? What, what what are you worried about? <laughs> what are you worried about? Is, is and like, like." <laughs> It's not possible for him to be here. And it's not possible that he's picking this up on my phone because he doesn't come on till eight o'clock. I'm like, how is Father John Ricardo in my car? And it turned out being an interview that you did with Bishop Barron. And and and, and you were talking about everything is in God's hands. I won't, And I don't even remember all the deal, but it was uncanny because it was a very difficult morning and it was like, what are you worried about? And it was your voice. So
1: thank you for that.
0: You know, God knows what we need when we need. Unbelievably it. So,
1: so. Yeah, yeah, and so much Technology of it. Your- Technology can do some good things.
0: Yes. All right.
1: And yeah, well, and so much of the mission, so much of the ministry is on mission. So you were on mission in John's car at Amen. six o'clock that morning, which <laughs> was wonderful.
3: And I didn't think I could by- locate but- <laughs> <laughs> Your voice Ken. I always say to people, I don't want that gift. <laughs> yeah,
1: St. Padre Pio. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so we would love for you to um, open us in prayer, if you would. We do that every time on the family room. So Father John, would you be willing to do that for us this this morning?
3: Yeah, ab- absolutely. In the name of the Father oh, and the Son the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you that uh, your son promised where two or more are gathered in his name that he would be present in their midst. And so we know that Jesus is very much in our midst, for we're here in his name. We thank you that the room that we're in together is your family room, that we have access to you, that we can come before you because of all that Jesus has accomplished. And so we do that now with utmost gratitude and with trust that you will pour out your Holy Spirit generously upon us to anoint our conversation, that it would be encouraging and edifying not only for us, but for all our brothers and sisters who are listening. We entrust into your hands, especially those who are listening, who most need hope or a deepening of faith or comfort or suffering in whatever way, that they might be reminded anew of your love and of your kindness the fact that you see us that you know us and that you love us and so we thank you in advance for all that you're going to do we ask it all in jesus name amen amen Amen. father and
1: the son and the holy
4: spirit
3: Amen. amen
1: So I assumed everybody knew who of Father John and Mary were, so I'm just going to mention a couple things about them before we have them talk a little bit more about themselves. But um, as we just said, you guys probably have heard both of them either here on The Quest or on their podcast, but Father John um, is a missionary and acts... Uh, acts 29 executive director and he's been a priest for quite a number of years um originally up in detroit and now he leads the acts 29 ministry and mary gilfoyle is also a missionary and she leads the rescue project which we are going to spend a lot of our time mm. talking about today um and she uh like us is also a a parent which is huge but and like you john she's a grandparent which is oh. great i get to I, I look forward to that day when i comes get to a grandparent. yes great and they are both amazing followers of Jesus so we are thankful to have have them
0: so like any family room uh father john and mary there's traditions there's certain things that happen all the time and then it just goes wherever from there and so we suspect that that's uh probably the case uh today but what we would love to do one of the traditions that we have is just to ask our guests just to share a little slice of what we call their faith journey or or how did you get from where you were to where you got um I'll, and uh and and just share that with our listeners cuz it t- tends to be uh an edifying experience
3: ladies first
2: all righty so um i'm a a cradle catholic um born and raised in the faith um one of the things that i thank my parents for are now both with the lord we just my mom just went home to the lord may 7th mm. and my dad passed away 10 years ago but one of the things i Find myself thanking them for now in a particular way um, is that I was raised in a Catholic family, um, I made my sacraments, and we went, we, and we went to Mass, uh, observed um, all of the seasons at the Church. Um, and, but while I was raised in a Catholic home, um, I had more of a devotional faith, I would say, um, but I didn't know that it was possible to have a living, breathing, personal friendship with Jesus Mm. until I went away to college. So I was um, moved away about 800 miles from home uh, to go to college. And within my first year, um, by God's grace and his goodness, I was introduced to some young, alive, joyful Christians. Some were Catholic, uh, some weren't. Um, and because of the time that they poured into me, the time they invested with me, uh, I came to know who Jesus was. Mm. And I would say that was my very first encounter with the Lord. They taught me the importance of reading scripture. I'd mm. never opened a Bible in my whole life, mm-hmm. which is a sad thing to say, being born and raised in the faith. But, um, they encouraged me to, um, develop a prayer habit, uh, to read from the word of God and how important fellowship was. Mm. How important a community was and that that stayed with me um, through the rest of my college years and I married in 1982 I've been married 41 years
1: Wow congratulations
2: so I'm a wife a mother and a grandmother so married uh, my husband Steve and um, his career took us not only uh, through the Midwest but out to the eastern the eastern side of the country And as we move from state to state, um, that which rooted us was a Catholic community or a small group of people, uh, that small community. Because when you're moving away from family and roots that you know, um, that which I learned in college stayed with me um, most of my life. Um, I would also say too, you know, as we talk about our faith journeys, to be really honest, there are markers in our lives um, that bring us to deeper conversion And I had several of those moments uh, in my life. Certainly becoming a mother was was a moment of profound, a deeper conversion for me. Um, There was a season in my life where I was very sick for about 18 months. And um, having been healed from that time of illness was another deep marker in my life, uh, deep in my dependency upon Jesus. Um, And then uh, just having served in Parish ministry, most of my adult life, I'd say probably the last 12 years that we served together uh, in parish ministry, there were some very profound moments, um, deeper encounters, I would say, with the Holy Spirit that have deepened uh, my faith, has helped fuel um, ministry in a particular uh, regard. And uh, I would say, along those initial those initial years in my life, my grandparents were, in a particular way, the stars in my life. They were my mom's parents, Joe mm-hmm. Joseph, and he was very much a Saint Joseph. Mm-hmm. Um, but my grandparents on my mother's side um, were stars in my life that guided me along the path of faithful prayer. Uh, they they lived their faith beautifully and naturally. And I was thinking about this even this is gonna sound crazy. This morning there's a couple devotional prayers that I pray every morning and they were the prayers they taught me when I was nine years old. Oh. And I'm sixty one years old and I still pray those prayers. <laughs>
1: um
2: so that's probably my faith journey and in a nutshell, I, I would guess. That's a that's a, a brief version.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. And it's also so beautiful to um for those listeners, uh, we have many listeners who are grandparents. And so it's so encouraging no, to know what an influence grandparents can have in a life as well.
0: Thank you for that, Mary. Uh, Father John.
3: Yeah, you know, my story's is uh, complimentary of that. Because we're in a, a family room, I might limit it mainly to just my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I grew up, uh, I'm the youngest of five kids, my mom and dad. Are the one I, I would say I'm a disciple for two reasons. One, um, I think the Lord blessed me with um, the charism of faith from my childhood, um, which is actually somewhat indicting to say out loud, just because um, I've, I've never known a time in my life when I didn't have a relationship with Jesus,
4: mm.
3: uh, ever. Um the the downside of that, the indicting side is, uh, as I've said to a priest friend of mine, I know few people with the capacity to, to both hear God and be disobedient at the same time, <laughs> and I put myself in that category. So I've always known the Lord. I've always prayed my earliest childhood memories, the crucifix. I, he's just always been real to me. Um, but the other part that really complemented How I got to where I am now were my parents, and my mom and dad were the greatest men and women I've ever known in my life. Mm. They were radical disciples. They were married 66 years. They're both passed away now. They taught me and my sisters and my brothers also passed away now what attractive, normal, healthy disciples of Jesus looked like. And our our home growing up was a my mom was uh was Methodist. She became Catholic when I was maybe fourteen, mm-hmm. thirteen, shortly after John Paul was elected. Mm-hmm. Um but they they just modeled for us the only intelligent way to live life is to sell out for God. My dad was a, a CEO of a Fortune fifty company and so he was a guy who came from a dirt poor family who fought in World War II, who just was a really successful man, who was never impressed with himself, modeled humility, modeled a life of selflessness, mod- modeled for me a real man Praised a real man to read Scripture. I learned to read Scripture when I was a child. Our home was something like a who's who of Catholic leaders and, and non-Catholic leaders, for that matter, who came through. My mom ran a Bible study out of our house. My mom and dad did things like Life in the Spirit seminars in our house. I saw my mom experience a miracle that could come right out of the pages of the Acts of the Apostles when I was a young boy, and it, it confirmed for me as a child, God is real and is able to do the impossible. He turned a, a cripple into the most athletic person I ever met in my life. Hmm. And so I, I just kind of grew up knowing uh, sooner or later, the only intelligible way to live life is to live it as a Christian. I spent a long time rattling a fence, and um, finally, after some pretty significant encounters with Jesus personally, where he kind of beat me over the head, I I, I started to make a decision. I'm still in the middle of the decision to give him everything, but um, mm-hmm. that's another story. So I, I, I say that only because I really want to honor parents and assure parents that we know this from every piece of research that we've done, the single most effective pastor a child will ever have is their mom or dad. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's not even close. And my sisters and I say repeatedly to each other, we just kind of won the lottery. Mm-hmm with our parents. And uh, so I I want to thank God for them and and honor them, because I know they're interceding for me right now uh, for the witness that they gave me.
1: That's beautiful. Um, and you know what? That's exactly why we do what we do here in the family room, Father John, because we believe the same thing. And we are, um, as we listen to your, both your stories, it is so um, it is so edifying, it's so beautiful, and it's so encouraging. And that's what we want to do is offer parents that hope um, that they do have a great impact and additional tools and resources because we're living in a world where they're not getting that. They're hearing from a lot of different places, a lot of different things. I remember when I first had my first child you know, for some reason, I don't know, at the hospital, maybe they sign you up for all these different magazines or something. And all of a sudden, you've got all the stuff pouring into your house. You've got all of these different people's ideas of how you're supposed to raise your kids pouring into your house. And I do remember one day finally saying, I don't want any of this and throwing them all away and taking myself off every, every magazine and choosing exactly who I wanted to listen to and how I wanted to listen to raise my kids with, with a Christian worldview and how different that was. And that's, That was over 20 years ago, and it's become even more challenging for parents. So we're excited, especially today, because you've come to talk to us about the rescue project. And I think it's a beautiful tool that parents and all parishioners at all, you know, parishioners, non-parishers, people of all um, levels can actually take this tool. But it's actually an experience that you've created and you're offering in a beautiful, generous way. So we would love for you to describe the rescue project and what it is and what led you to create it. And I know it comes out of your Acts 29 apostolate. So if you need to start by describing that at all first, that's fine as well.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll say a couple things to kick it off and then let Mary just um, weigh in and correct and amplify whatever I might say. So so I'm, a, I'm ordained 27 years now. Uh, we started Acts 29 four years ago now. July will be... July first will be the start of the fifth year. So I, I would presume most people listening probably don't know the Bible well enough to know what happens in the twenty ninth chapter of the Acts <laughs> of the Apostles.
1: I think that's so us, do, right? So we'll uh, listeners do.
3: No Some do. So uh, there, if you look at in your New Testament, you'll realize there is no twenty ninth chapter of Acts, and, and that's the point. And it's it's not to be cute. It's actually to make. Uh, make emphatic or make explicit something which we all need to know, namely that the same Holy Spirit who wrote the history of the early Church is writing right now,
4: Mm -hmm. and
3: he's writing in in my life and in yours, and you and I are no more insignificant than Peter and Paul or Titus or Lydia or any of the figures that we read about in Acts are. Um, there, There are no bit roles in the drama that is mm. salvation history. And so the Holy Spirit has very intentionally uh, desired for us to be alive right now, just like the plan was for Peter and Paul and Andrew to be alive at their time. And God has given us gifts that He desired to give us now, just like He desired to give them then. So there's there's work to be done, and we can talk about that maybe as we get talking about the end of the Rescue Project or whatnot, but that's something about Acts 29. Our our work is kind of in four simple areas to digest. One is by creating content on media. So we want to try to do everything we can, mainly from what you just said, Mari, about how much, whether it's in print media or electronic or uh, even audio, whatever, and often, quite frankly, Catholic media for that Just as much, tragically, it, it can be negative, divisive, discouraging, mm-hmm. angry, and we want to create content that's really edifying and encouraging. Without burying our heads in the sands, so we want to look at what's going on, but we also want to we want to look at it through the lens of the gospel and give people hope that you know God isn't nervous right now. Um, the world might look like it's falling apart, and it might in fact be falling apart, but God's not nervous and we shouldn't be nervous, because Jesus is Lord, and that's not the ending of a prayer, it's a reality. So we we create media, and we do a lot of work with priests. We've been blessed to be with about 3,000 priests over the last four years on retreat, which has given us a a, a real glimpse into the state of our brothers around the country. And let me just say right now that a number of them are thriving, to be sure, but many of them are not. Uh, Many of them are surviving. They love Jesus they love their people, they love the church, but something's something's terribly wrong. Um, structures, systems, uh, a culture which is swimming against us, and it makes it really challenging. So we're trying to just pour into the brothers and give them both hope and encouragement, share the gospel with them, and then give them some tools to kind of go back out on the ridge and fight with We do some work with leaders around the country that could be bishops, it could be superintendents of uh, Catholic school districts, it could be campus ministers, it could be lay leaders all around the country in different capacities. And then the last thing is this thing called the Rescue Project, which we created, which really came to birth when I was in the parish. At least the origins of it um, come from there. And it it flows—I'll let Mary describe— like what it actually is in a moment. I'll just tell you something about it, maybe from a narrative perspective. So it would be my conviction that most people have have never heard the gospel, whether they go to church or they don't. And one of the ways I would contextualize that is Pope John Paul II, in a, a letter that he wrote very early on in his pontificate, he said that the initial ardent proclamation of the Gospels should be such that a person is gradually overwhelmed and then moved to make a decision to to entrust or to surrender their entire life to Jesus in faith so i just i'd encourage people who are listening imagine going to going to mass this weekend or going to church wherever you go to church if you're not catholic and the the priest or the minister stands up at, at a certain point in the Mass or the service, and he says, I, I just want to ask everybody two questions. First question, how many people here have been overwhelmed by the gospel? Mm-hmm. How many hands do you think would go up?
1: Not many. No,
0: unless you're talking about confusion at times, right? I, I just, I'm overwhelmed. I can't yeah. I can't get it all right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah exactly.
1: Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Right, right. Versus, ah. Uh, but not yeah. the
0: way you intended it. Yeah. Correct.
3: Yeah. And and then he asked the second question, how many people here have made a decision to surrender everything they have and are to Jesus in faith? My time, my money, my body, my family, my reputation, my work, everything. And I I think you'd be scouring, you know, the perimeters trying to find – if you got ten hands to that second question, I'd say that's a lot. If if people are seriously being honest.
0: Right. Ten hands in the air, ten with their fingers crossed behind their back. (laughs)
3: Yeah, probably. And I think the reason for that is I don't think they've heard it. And especially in a Catholic context, and people often get nervous when I say what I'm about to say, or they misunderstand it. So I want to make sure I say this clearly. I think the reason for that, or one of the reasons for that, is uh, the lectionary. Hmm. And what what I mean by that is so the lectionary is an amazing gift to us as Catholics because what it does is it exposes people over the course of three years to a breadth of scripture. The challenge is, both as a preacher as well as as a you know, a member of the congregation, the lectionary presupposes you already know the Bible. Right. That's a huge presupposition. Mm. And so you're you're oftentimes left with what seemed to be three very disjointed readings and whoever's preaching whether it's the bishop a priest or a deacon you just hope and he's not too long he's kind of funny and he makes it kind of practical <laughs> but you 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 can, you can go to church for decades and never actually hear the story yeah you hear parts of the story but you don't hear the story and so I'll end it with this, and then maybe let Mary jump in and describe the experience we created in in education, at least in you know early education, whether it's grade school and even high school to some extent, you always begin pretty much every subject every year with a review. The church almost never reviews hmm. And so we felt. Um, deeply compelled to address what we think is the most urgent task in the Church right now, which is a compelling and attractive proclamation of the Gospel in such a way that's somewhat short, it's um, easy to remember, and it's probably um, vastly, I'll say, more muscular than people understand. And with that, I'll, I'll let Mary jump in and take it from there.
2: One of the things I'd like to uh, speak into before I kind of go into the experience itself is, as Father John mentioned, uh, we've been blessed uh, uh, to take roughly 3,000 priests on retreat over the last four years, and it's the impact of the way Father John preaches the gospel the impact that it has on these priests, that the Lord really laid upon our hearts, we have to do something with this, because what we were seeing happen in our in our beautiful brothers was um, transformation, um, healing, a sense of encouragement, um, a rededication of their priesthood, and so we and, and we would even have priests tell us that had I heard this muscular Jesus, had I heard the gospel preached in this way, or had this been the Jesus that I was introduced to, how different my priesthood would have looked 20, 30, 40 years ago. Mm, And so with that, and inspired too by the reality that most of us sitting in the pews haven't heard the gospel preached in this way, we invited a um, a film company um, out of... uh, out of the South called 4 p.m. media to come and actually film Father John preaching the gospel. Uh, We preached, he preached it live and we we filmed it. So it's an eight-week video experience of the gospel that's ideally leveraged in a small group format with food and conversation and times of prayer and retreat.
1: And that's a perfect and. quick snapshot of it because we're going to head to break here. And when we come back, we would love for you to dive deeper into that. But thank you for that background and that first taste of it. So, listeners, you were here in the family room. We were with Father John Ricardo and Mary Guilfoyle. And we'll, we will be, we'll be right, right
0: back. back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Sprite on the Quest.
5: Saint Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about.
3: Want to go deeper? Listen to the Saint Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com.
0: We're back in the family room, sponsored by Verse Sprite. right here on AM 1160, The Quest. We're here with Father John Riccaro and Mary Gilfoyle, and we're talking about the rescue project. And and Mary, you had taken us through a, just a basic description of what it was. Now, would you kind of unpack that for us and really help us understand why why it packs the punch? It really does.
2: Gosh, there's so many things <laughs> that, that, that sets it apart. I'd say a couple things. I think the way Father John preaches is around his gifting of storytelling. Mm-hmm. So he's able to weave in stories relative to each particular episode. That's really important. And he speaks in a way, he preaches in a way, he teaches in a way where it lands with people and they get it. That's the first thing I would say. There is an incredible level of vulnerability as Father John starts to shine the spotlight on our enemy, Mm -hmm. who he is, what his plan is for our lives, his tactics and his strategies. And Father John's vulnerability sets the table as we meet in our small groups for us to press into our own vulnerabilities, to shed light on how the enemy works in our own lives so that those fortresses can be broken open and the grace of God can start to move. I also think, too, it's... um, I'm familiar with, as I'm sure we all are, with a a lot of beautiful small group ministries in the church. But I think one of the things that helps pack a punch for almost everyone who we've spoken with who's gone through the Rescue Project and especially college students, is that once we have clarity on who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it's very important that we have clarity on our mission as disciples. Mm -hmm. And in that last episode of the series, getting clarity on the mission, that really is a rallying cry to greatness. It's a rallying cry to magnanimity. It's a commissioning, if you will, to go out into the world And to begin the work of recreation transformation and healing because oftentimes what happens is when we go through experiences or 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 we hear whatever the whatever the experience is whether it's a bible study or it's another series that opens up the gospel that creates an opportunity for an encounter with jesus so often we're confronted with so what now what
4: Mm -hmm. and
2: father john makes it very clear there's work for us to do that the work that Jesus began on Easter, which is the recreation of the world, it's your task and my task to go out and put our hands to that and begin building for the kingdom of God and to start going against that culture that's pressing in so deeply against us. I'll, I'll leave it there. There's some other things I could say, but I would love to hear your thoughts, in particular around what, you know, packs the punch for you, Father.
3: Yeah. You know, I, I think a couple of things—so first of all, maybe just to tell people where they can find it, if you go to rescueproject.us, you'll find is everything that we've created is free. So the, everything we do, for that matter, is free, just because that's the biblical mandate, freely we have received, freely we give. So it's it's available both in English as well as in Spanish. There's a Spanish uh, translation and a dubbing of all the videos for our brothers and sisters who um, speak Spanish as a a first language or would prefer it in that. I think Mary hit a couple things. I might summarize the Rescue Project um, in two ways. In a certain sense, it's really trying to break open the mission of Jesus and the mission of the disciple. It's really all it's about. And the first mission, the mission of Jesus, begs the question, like, well, why did Jesus— need to come. And so we talk a little bit about why everything's so messed up. Mm. And it, as we do that, we talk about the enemy. And one of the things that we try to really go hard after is especially important in this culture, to make sure Christians understand that the, the only enemy is, in fact, the enemy, which is to say the only enemy is Satan and his minions. No, no human being is my enemy as a disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I might be theirs, but they're not mine. They're just rebels to win, just like I've been a rebel. I mean, Paul says in Romans that Christ died for the ungodly. That's all of us. Mm-hmm. So he didn't come for the good guys. There are no good guys. And it's so easy in our culture, and we're seeing this not just in the secular culture, we're seeing this in the church, too, tragically. We, we easily demonize others. The enemy are the traditionalists or the the, the charismatics or the people who receive communion in the hand or the, the people who receive it only on the tongue or the you know yep. those crazy guitar people, whatever. <laughs> the enemy is hell, period. Yep. The, the enemy is not another political party. The enemy is not even the abortionists. They're just rebels to win. So we go hard after him. And then after going hard after him, then, then we try to talk, as Mary just said, well, what's the mission of the disciple of Jesus? Because I think a lot of Catholics and Christians in general, we almost have an attitude of, you know what, this is all going to burn. Who cares? Let's just make sure we hunker down, get holy, and get out of here, or get ready for yeah. Jesus' return.
4: Mm-hmm. Yep.
3: And that's not the mission. Right. right. The mission is to do everything we can to continue what Jesus began on Easter Sunday, which, as Mary just said, is the recreation of this world which God loves, and which He will come back one day and make new. And, and only He can do that. But we can and are supposed to work for it. And this has massive implications for laymen and women. It means that doctors, nurses, attorneys, coaches, politicians, actors, actresses, teachers, you name it— Their task isn't simply to to grow in virtue and to do their work in a virtuous way. Their task is to do everything they can. If if you can think of the enemy, the enemy is bent, Mm -hmm. what God created, Mm -hmm. because he can't create. Our task is to do everything we can to bend it back. That's huge. And now all of a sudden your faith integrates with your work as opposed to just do it in a virtuous way. I, I hope that makes sense. When we say this, this is what all of a sudden, like, immediately grabs people. Like, oh, so there's a mission. Yeah. You know? And it helps, I think, people in the church. You know, the church uses, we, we quote Ephesians 4 oftentimes and various things. You'll hear people say, like, um, you know, like, like the ordained work is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the same to the people in the pews.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, the problem is they don't know what the ministry is. Yeah, And suddenly what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to put some language to that and to give them words. And then not just words, but actually concrete, tangible, oftentimes surprising examples of people who did that so that they can go, oh, well, I can see myself doing that. And then they get in the game. Yeah. And and to live, and it might cost my life, like I might get martyred, you know, but who cares because death can't hold me. Yeah. And so it, it just doesn't terrify me anymore. And, and that's what motivates people, I think, to get going and to get
0: into this. So what you, Father John, what you're saying, Mary said, does make sense. You ask questions. does that make sense? Because immediately as I looked at this, I said, we're preaching to the choir again. We're preaching to the choir. And then it's like, well, why is that okay? And why do we need to? You just explain. Mm -hmm. We better be preaching to the choir because when the song is over, there's work to do, right? right? And I think you make that so profoundly clear, emotionally clear, like one is moved to move after listening.
1: Right, and and the choir might have the charism of faith like you did, Father John. You were given the charism of faith at a young age and I think there are a lot of, Catholics who were, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to and they think that it's all up to the priests. And I think that's been one of the traps we've fallen into for so many years. And why those priests are so exhausted and despondent sometimes is because we've put all the work on them. We have huge jobs. We have a huge job. And so, you know, my heart's burning just thinking, just listening to you. I do believe I heard somebody say that you too have the charism of preaching the gospel. And I think you really do. do, And that's what you're doing with the rescue project. And so we will also have this on our in our show notes, but you can go to therescueproject.us to get all of these materials. You also can come to Rescue Live here in Atlanta. Father John and Mary and their team from Acts 29 are going to be here on September 9th, full day at the Cobb Galleria Center. It's only $50. The Archdiocese of Atlanta is sponsoring this. Um, the Quest is helping to sponsor this as well. All and you
0: the, need to move because it's limited, it's yeah. like limited capacity, yeah, right? So and, and spots are filling. So we yeah. do want you to move. It's it, like we're preaching to you, the choir, saying, "Hey, get out there, get this thing registered." Because hey. I don't, we, it'd be bad to hear. I tried to do it, and then there was no. <laughs> right. That would That would <laughs> right. be good,
1: listeners. If you are just joining us, we are here in the family room talking with Father John Ricardo and Mary Gilfoyle from the Acts Twenty Nine team, and we're talking about the rescue project. So as you were talking about that, so. Um, For those people who are very uh, tangible or administrative in their thinking, um, you got into some of the content in a beautiful way. And I know when I listened to the watch the first video, I loved how when you said you went after it hard. I loved how you set the stage in a way that nobody could doubt. This wasn't fluffy. This wasn't um, you know, this is the fluffy Jesus. This was, this was, here's the world we're living in right now. Here's what's going on around us right now. And we're not going to bury our heads in the sand and ignore what's happening. And the context you set, I think probably really takes down the walls for some people who've become disillusioned or cynical, or, you know, just too angry to be able to see past where they are. What kind of feedback are you already getting from people who've Um, experience the rescue project
3: so i one of the things that we repeatedly hear from people is oh you're going to be real if if there's no answers for evil and for suffering then why are we wasting our time yeah because nobody i think what surprises people sometimes is nobody asks as many questions about why is everything so screwed up as Scripture does. Mm. Like, it's it's many women with faith who are wrestling with God. That's not Mm. an atheist wrestling match. That's 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 a believer's wrestling match, because it flows from, I know you, Lord, and I know you're good, and I know you're powerful, so why is this happening? What's wrong with the world? And so nobody asks that question as, you know, vehemently, I don't think anyway, as the Bible itself, and nobody gives not just an answer to it in the sense of like an answer to satisfy my curiosity, but a response to it in the sense of, oh, someone's done something about this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we want to we present really clearly the world's a mess. It's not supposed to be. It is for a reason. And the reason is the enemy and what he's done, and I'll leave that for another day where you can watch the Rescue Project or come to (laughs) Rescue Live in Atlanta. But God hasn't just, like, given us some answers to satisfy intellectual curiosity. God's done something about death. God's done something about sin. God's done something about hell. God's done something about the enemy. And he didn't send an angel to do it, and he didn't wave a magic wand to do it. He himself did something which tells me something really striking that I matter far more than I could ever imagine yeah. that you matter far more than you could ever imagine. Cause God thinks you're worth fighting for personally. He thinks he's it's worth him personally fighting to rescue you from hell and from death, which you can't escape and from sin and from Satan. And, and again, he's done that himself You know, there's a great line in Isaiah where the Lord says, I will contend with those who contend with you. Mm. Why? Because you matter to me. The the one who made the universe says you're far more important than you ever dared to imagine. And in a culture right now which is riddled with despair and riddled with anxiety and riddled with a crisis of identity, and does anybody see me and does anybody— know my name, and does, does anybody take, you know, note of my challenges? And, and God wants to give a resounding, yes, I do. I know you. I see you. You matter to me. You're worth dying for. And that's the heart of the gospel. Are there a whole set of things after that? Absolutely. But you don't start there. You start here. You start with, this is the proclamation of the gospel. You are cherished by God. And he's inviting you into a friendship with him. And if that doesn't come first, then this is a bunch of rules. And that's not what faith's about.
2: Can I just speak into something yes. that Father John was talking about? You know, that people are just dying to be seen and known and loved. Yep. You know, there's a lot of crises in the culture and the church, to be sure. But I think we could all agree that, that one of the most significant crises— in our culture today, is a crisis of what it means to be human. Yeah. And if we don't understand what it means to be human, then we're never going to enter into authentic friendship. Mm-hmm. And so what we've been talking about with y'all is this beautiful, rich proclamation of the gospel that is life-changing. And if I could sum up, you know, we receive texts and emails every day from people around the country who are experiencing this. Mm -hmm. And I I think if I could sum up their testimonies in in one word, I'd say they have unshakable confidence Mm -hmm. in Jesus. And once our faith is rooted, once our confidence is rooted in Jesus, I can navigate all manner of things after that. That's the first thing I wanted to say. And the second thing I wanted to say is the content stands alone. It's the the gospel. It's, It's like handing someone the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Just that you're going to hand someone the Rescue Project, you know, uh, the website and all the resources. How we do what we do when we come together in our parishes or our homes, because the Rescue Project is designed to be brought into homes in a very particular way, that's an easier threshold to cross,
4: mm-hmm.
2: right? Yeah. The gospel comes with a house key. Open up your front door and let people come in. <laughs> and let's leverage our churches, right, for, you know, for the kingdom of God. But what we do and how we do it, is important, and so when we're running the experience itself, um, we put a a priority first of all on prayer, Mm. right? If you're if you're even remotely thinking about bringing this to your home or your neighborhood or your school or your parish, start getting people to pray now before the Blessed Sacrament for its fruitfulness, for protection over it. But we put a place of primacy on beauty, welcome hospitality so that people see Jesus made manifest in their brothers and sisters and they have that experience of oh i am seen by so and so i do matter they were expecting me like this is a this is an incredible meal this has been a wonderful two hours and then when people feel welcomed and seen what happens is we can press into being real
4: mm-hmm.
2: recapturing what it means to be human and in a particular way how father john breaks that open for us is he shares his story and, like we said, ideally, this is done in a small group community it's a place where we can share our stories you You all are big on that, right what's your story mm-hmm. How did mm-hmm. it, and and that's really holding ground and then we place a priority on walking with people that personal accompaniment for eight weeks and even beyond as we continue to disciple that encounter. We were at the um, Mother Teresa Museum a set of months ago, and we were visiting Ave Marie University. Mm and I'm probably going to get this quote wrong from Mother Teresa, but she said something along the lines that one of the greatest tragedies in life is to not be a somebody to someone. Mm. And I think coming out of COVID, coming out of all this isolation and all this loneliness that now permeates our culture, to be able to come together in a small group and have a meal, hear this gospel proclaimed in this compelling, attractive way that's life-changing— and to continue to journey with people through that experience and beyond, that is the starting point to getting God's world back, to getting God's family back, to getting our families back, to getting our communities back. So. I just wanted to underscore how we do what we do is just as important as what we do.
1: Right, because you did express that it's an experience. So while you can go to rescueproject.us and get all of the videos for free and you have a lot of resources on there, you've got facilitator guides, you've got small group facilitation training on there, you've got... Um, a, a guide for people going through it, and and like we said, all the all the various videos and some instruction on how to do that. It's more than that because it's, um, as you just said, it's people welcoming other people, seeing them, making them known, and welcoming them in with the undergirding and the covering of prayer all around it. So it can be done in churches, like you said. It can be done in people's homes. You can do it in a small group. You have, you've done it. Had seen people do it in prisons so you don't have to be led by a priest to do it anybody can do it and have all the the resources there as you said having a nice meal because breaking bread together and having nice meal together is a big is a big part of it so as i listen to you and hear about it you know and it's about Um, Eight weeks long It does make me think of Alpha And a number of our listeners Do know about Alpha Because they've been through it I know that I had a chance To lead a number of Alpha sessions So tell us about Because Father John We know that you Both of you actually Were involved with Alpha In your parish in Michigan there So how is this The same different Maybe what you learned from Alpha That you plugged into this
3: Yeah, no, it's a great question So just, you know Real clearly We're we're huge fans of Alpha Uh, We've had a chance to the over in London, which is where it originated mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. several times, and we, we, love, we love the folks who use it. It's an incredibly effective tool. What we created is not in any way uh, intended to be something like a, a Catholic equivalent of Alpha or a response to Alpha. It comes from a very different need. Mm-hmm. Alpha is something like an introduction to Christianity. Right. Yep this is the gospel. And by the gospel, I mean what, what the church would, you know, like technically call the kerygma, mm-hmm. which is a Greek word for proclamation. It's the core content of the gospel. It's four parts, you know, like, why is there something rather than nothing? Why is it all messed up? What, if anything, has God done about it? And how should I respond if He has? So it's very similar to something like Alpha in its mm-hmm. DNA, which It's just kind of a no-brainer way to do things. Like you should do things together with other people. You should probably have food (laughs) because food matters. Um, You shouldn't just fill your head with information. You should talk. So there's, you know, things like meals and conversation um, should accompany it. But what makes it different from Alpha is quite simply the content.
2: I would agree with all of that. I'd also say, too, Alpha's vision is to reach the unchurched. Mm -hmm. Challenges, we've got some unchurched people sitting in the pews who have never heard the basic, you know, story of Christianity. We're finding that um, parishes that are using Alpha are finding that the Rescue Project is a great next step. Next
1: step, yeah, I see that.
2: They're also, they're also, some parish uh, pastors and their leaders are discerning, do they take them through the Rescue Project first and then Alpha, or do they take Alpha outside? To leverage it for that audience for which it was it was originally created right but we would say that there's actually room for both and that is really left to the discernment of the pastor and their leadership team I would also say too, you know one of the uh, distinctions is obviously um, this is clearly preached by an anointed preacher coming from the heart of the church mm-hmm. um, and father John um, uniquely situates baptism in Eucharist mm. uh, it just makes sense given the content and that's something that alpha um, would not do right. but but the DNA of how you do life together you, you see that in walking with purpose as well it's, right. it's another bio- study for women so that DNA is similar but the message is radically different
0: terrible analogy but uh alpha I read the pamphlet for the military the rescue project I believe I'm ready to sign up and teach me how to take the hill in, what, I love that. in one minute, can you sum up, like, what people are going to experience on September 9th when they come to see you in Atlanta?
3: Well, I'll sum up what I pray will happen, because these are the goals of the Rescue Project, and they're the goals of Rescue live. Two of the things are mentioned by Pope John Paul II, the, the third is our addition. So we pray that everybody comes, will be, in a way that only God can enable to happen, because it won't be by, by me, they'll be overwhelmed by what they hear. The second thing that we pray will happen is that they'll be moved to surrender, either for the first time or perhaps again to Jesus, that they'll be able to say, you can have it all. And the third thing is that they'll get mobilized for mission, that they'll, they'll have confidence in Jesus's lordship, not not to be naive, but to be confident in his lordship. He's unconquerable. I'm just not nervous. And they'll go out and do everything they can wherever they're planted to help recreate the world.
2: And, you know, there's something about a live event. You know, I I think one of our prayers, too, is that as people experience praise Mm -hmm. and worship and adoration,
4: Mm
2: -hmm. um, community, uh, the joy of being together in friendship, that people will be so inspired to bring the Rescue Project back into their diocese, their home, their community, their parish. This isn't meant to be a once-and-done experience. We want to inspire people. If you've been rescued we want you to go out and rescue people. Mm-hmm. And so we hope that people go at but go go leave that experience and say, that was so incredible. I want to bring this to everybody I know, no matter where that is, because TRP can be leveraged wherever there's people.
1: That's beautiful. We are excited. We're actually going to be there. We'll see you on September 9th with our spouses, actually, so we're so thankful. So as we finish up, um, listeners, we have just had the privilege of having Father John Ricardo and Mary Guilfoyle join us here in the family room today. Father John, would you be willing to bless our listeners as we close?
3: I would be delighted. Thanks. It's been a gift for us to be with you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Through the intercession of Our Lady and all of the patron saints of all of us who are listening right now, may Almighty God bless you. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit drive out from you any and all fear and anxiety. Replace it with unshakable confidence in Him who is Lord and give you the certainty of knowing that your life and the lives of all those that you love rest securely in the Father's hands. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Father John. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, dear listeners. Please join us again here in the Family Room next week, where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families.
0: Thanks for hanging out with us in the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.